Welcome all you visitors. God bless you, you regulars. We like people around here. I like people. I tell you, if you've made a mess of your life, you're in the right place. If you've become discipled in Christ, you're in the right place. Because we are a team for the kingdom of God to to not only change our homes and our families, but our city and our world. And so, God will use each one of you. Praise the Lord. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks, been talking about the game of life. Remember, we talked about salvation. You've got two options with salvation. You're either going to go to heaven or hell. Then we talked about who's in charge in your life. You only have two options there, too. It's either going to be you or it's going to be, be Father God. Now, go with me to Proverbs 2 today. That's where we'll begin in Proverbs 2. Right after we go over to Proverbs 2, we're going to go to Mark 10. So you can get your two references real quick there. Like I said, we're going to speak the Word of God. It is good to be back. We were gone last week. Actually, we celebrated our, our 32nd year of marriage, so it was a good time. Yeah, you probably need to be applauding Shelly. She put up with me for 32 years. She probably needs a purple heart for that, but bless her. Bless her, bless her, bless her. I was actually able to be around a lot of my family last week. My oldest sister, my brother, my mom and dad, and so it was a good time. It was a good time to be around them, so wonderful. Let me update you on just one other thing before we get really get moving. Uh, some of you have been involved with the orphanage down in Mexico for quite a while. There's a young man there who's probably early 20s now named Marcos. Marcos had had a brain tumor and hadn't done well. And actually about 10, 12 days ago, Sandra from the orphanage was here and she came into my office and said, Would you please pray for Marcos? Not doing well at all. And I said, Well, I'm going to pray one of two things. I'm going to pray the miracle power of God on him or I'm going to pray God takes him home and be with Jesus. Gets him out of here. And so the latter happened. He checked out and he went to heaven. And so um, my prayers is for his two sisters. They've grown up in the orphanage. That's all they've ever known. So we'll pray blessings over them. All right, before I get choked up and whine and cry like a baby, we better get to preaching the Word. Amen? Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 7. And you'll see right here in verses 7 and 8, it says He, talking about Yahweh, Father God. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He's a shield to us. Man, that's encouragement right there to know we got a God who's a shield to us. Now, I love verse 8. He guards the paths of justice. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's a just God. And He will guard the paths of justice. And it ends with this, And He preserves the way of His saints. The message says it this way, He keeps an eye on all who live honestly. I'm going to tell you right now, God is very aware of people that live honestly. When you live truthfully, He's aware of it. He's a just God. But it ends this way, and it says he pays special attention to his loyally committed ones. And I like that. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be loyally or totally committed to God. Okay? Now go with me to Mark chapter 10, back into the New Testament. And as we're turning there, many times we have thoughts as human beings when it pertains to to salvation or eternity... I'm, 
I'm good enough to go to heaven, and I'm not bad enough to go to hell. And a lot of times that's the way we think, and a lot of times that's the way we look at things. But it's not about whether I'm good enough or bad enough. Because a lot of times when we look at it that way, we're comparing ourselves to other people. So it's easy for me to say, you know what? I'm not as bad as Philip is, and I'm just using Philip as an illustration. I don't do as bad as things as this person or that person, but what we got to understand about eternity and salvation, it has nothing to do with other people. Nothing. My relationship with God or lack of a relationship with God has nothing to do with what Philip does. Okay? So it all comes down to what I do or don't do. And my way to heaven, guys, is not about am I good enough. My way to heaven is when I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life and I allow Him to live through me and in me. Now, in order to do that, i got to surrender my life to Him. i got to allow Him to start living in me. And to do that, I'm going to have to be totally committed to it. Okay? Uh, Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 17. Now, if you look in, in your Bible, above verse 17 in my Bible, it says... Jesus counsels the rich young ruler. Now we're going to make this as, as plain and as simple as we can here today. Just so we get the word of God and really understand what Jesus is talking about. Verse 17. Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him. Now get this. This guy comes running and he kneels before Jesus and this is in honor of him. And he goes ahead and he says this and he asks him, Good teacher. Now it's interesting that, that this rich young ruler, he refers to Jesus as good teacher. That word or that phrase there, good teacher, if you'll notice there's a cross reference, it goes to, to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will continue or perfect it. He'll fulfill it. Now, the promise of that is this, that when I give my heart to Jesus, that's point A. But as long as I keep living for Jesus, or I listen to the things and I do the things that the good teacher tells me to do, He'll fulfill it in you. He who has begun a good work in you will fulfill it. And so that's the ultimate thing for every one of them. That salvation is the beginning point, but it's not the beginning, uh, the end point. That's the start. For us to live for Jesus and keep living for Jesus is the point that I believe he's going to try to make here today. So he goes on and says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? In Matthew 19, 16 it says, What good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the question here reveals that this man's belief is that his, his life or eternal life is a reward for him doing good things. So he's saying, what good things can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, to be truthful, you can't do any good thing to inherit eternal life. I don't care how good you think you are. You're not going to inherit eternal life that way. There's only one way that happens, okay? Keep reading. Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There is no one good but one, that is God. 
So Jesus was telling him here, listen, the focus can't be on because you do more good than bad or my good outweighs my bad. That's not what it's talking about because he lets us know here there's only one good. Only one that can fulfill that is that's Father God. So really in essence he's telling us here, listen, if you're trying to get to heaven by good works, not going to happen. Okay? Not for any of us in here today. There's only one way again, and that's Jesus. So we jump to verse 19, and after uh, Jesus has talked to him about this stuff, he quotes these commandments, and he says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And so right here, when you look at this, Jesus here, and you can go back and count them, he quotes six commandments. But wasn't there ten? So why didn't Jesus quote the other four? Did he forget them? I don't think so, because he's the one who wrote them. And so if you look at the six commandments that Jesus commanded this guy, or brings up, they all have to do with man's relationship with man. The external. The things I do outwardly toward other people. But the four that he doesn't mention have to do with man's relationship with Father God. Now that only happens not by my external things I do, but my internal things I do. The condition of my heart. And so really Jesus is telling this guy, you know, there's these six outward things that you can do, but what about the things on the inside? And when you look at Jesus, he wants us to live from our heart. Okay? He doesn't want us to just be a bunch of rules. How many of you found out that when you, when you live by the letter of the law, it's like a grind? I gotta do it. I gotta obey. I can't lie. I can't. And, and you, you find it's a fight. Day by day. And when it's a fight, guess what ultimately happens? You fall. But when I learn to live out of my heart, guys, the grace of God comes on in the inside of me. And you know what ends up happening? I want to live for Jesus. I want to please Him. It's like an oil in an engine. And that's what happens when we really, really get born again. Something happens on the inside of me where I begin to say, Man, I want to change. I want to live for Jesus. And how that ends up happening, it's not by me fulfilling those six commandments. It's by me allowing Jesus to live through me. Now, I try to change for years of my life. My thought was this. If I can just quit drinking, if I can just quit cussing, if I can just get clean and get my life right, then I can come to Jesus. Not going to happen that way. If that was the case, if me and you could clean up our life without Jesus, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But it's very clear that we do need Jesus. We need a Lord and we need a Savior. And so Jesus begins to tell him some things. Now look at what happens here after he tells him the commands. Verse 20. And he answered and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And so it's almost like this guy's leading by this uh, check marks. I haven't committed murder. Check. I've honored my mother and father. Check. He starts checking them all off. 
But look what happens in the very next verse, verse 21. Then Jesus looking at him, he loved him. Just like he loves me and you. Now Jesus didn't love him because he obeyed these six commands. Actually, Jesus loves him enough to confront him and to tell him the truth, but also to challenge him. And this is exactly what Jesus will do with every one of us. He'll confront my life. But he'll confront me where he says, you know what, I'm going to tell you the truth. So it says here, and Jesus loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lacked. One thing you lacked. And so guess what he's saying? You've tried to fulfill everything by your own abilities. And the one thing you lack is a wholehearted allegiance to God. Now when he tells this guy, you lack one thing, let me ask you that today. Is there one thing that keeps you from serving Jesus wholeheartedly? Maybe two things. Maybe three, but maybe just one. And that's what he's getting over to this guy. He says, still, there's one thing in your, in your, in your heart that you lack. Now, I've had people, when they've gotten born again, you know what they say to me? The craziest different things in the world. I want to go to heaven. And I've had people say this to me right here. But I don't want to quit partying. I like to get high. I like to get drunk. I like to do this and I like to do that. And so really, you know what you're saying? I'll do everything you want me to, but that one thing. I like. And so this is exactly what Jesus is telling him. Listen, buddy. You still lack one thing. Well, keep reading with me. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. Now, the thing that got this guy here is he made wealth an idol. That's the first commandment that he broke. He coveted something more than he did God. And so right here, this is what he's trying to tell him. And the Jews a lot of times use the phrase treasure in heaven. But for Jesus There was no merit in in achievements by mankind. Jesus was trying to walk him through and say, Listen, buddy, you got to hang on to me, okay? I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the only source you got. Now, for time's sake here today, I want you to go to the book of James, chapter, not James, Romans chapter 3. Hold your place right there in Mark chapter 10 because we're going to come back. Go to Romans chapter 3. Now, as you're turning there, in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 10, James wrote this, and he said, If you stumble in one thing, you're guilty of them all. You're guilty of them all. So really, when we can look about this rich young ruler, you know what Jesus was telling him? Your achievements are never going to get you there, buddy. If you think because of your achievements, good is good enough, it's not going to happen. I don't care who you are. Now, in Romans chapter 3, if you look in, above verse 9, it says, All have sinned. The last time I looked in Webster's Dictionary for the definition of all, it still means all. Now, this may be a big revelation for some of you, but all of us have sinned. And some of you say, no, 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 I've never sinned. Well, listen... 
You're not like Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins never was wrong. I'm going to tell you, the Bible doesn't lie. It says we've all sinned. Now look at verse number 9. For what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So when he says this, guys, here, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, we've all started out in the same condition. You know what that is? Sinners. Every one of us came into this world as sinners. When you were born, you were born with a sin nature. How do you know that? Well, how many of you had to go to class to learn how to sin? Not one of us. Well, kids, get in the car. We're going to go to class and teach you all how to lie today. None of us. How'd you learn to cuss? It was just your sin nature. And the only way you can change that sin nature is through Jesus Christ. That when He comes into your heart, He changes your heart. But without Jesus, guys, you're going to have that sin nature. Now, this may define you or it may define a loved one, a family member. And many times we look at people and we think, surely they're going to outgrow that. Surely they're not. You know why I can say that? Because if they don't ever give their heart to Jesus, you know what sinners do? They sin. And for years of my life, I had that mentality. Surely I'm going to outgrow the addiction to alcohol that I have. Surely not. And so when you see people that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and they're still living like they did when they're 20, you know what it shows? They've never been born again. Never. And so this right here, he begins to tell us, this is what happens. I'm going to be dominated by sin nature without Jesus. Verse uh, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, in my Bible, in between where it says there is none who does good, in between the does and good, there's an asterisk. Mine cross-references that back to Galatians 5.22 and 5.23. You know what that talks about? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and meekness, which is humility. When he talks about this, you know what he's really saying? It's about fruit. To have fruit in my life. I cannot obtain fruit by my works. I'm going to tell you right now, if you lack in the area of love, you can do a hundred love push-ups today. It's not going to get you there. If you lack in the area of self-control, you can think, you know what, i got a strong will. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lie again today. Guess what happened? You may get through today, but you won't get through tomorrow. Because the fruit of the Spirit can only come by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? i got to get away from thinking that I can achieve it in my own ability. If I could achieve it in my own ability, I would have never needed Jesus once again. So what do we do? We invite the Holy Spirit to start working in my heart. 
If you've struggled in the area of love, whoo, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. How about this? One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. How many of you in an area of your life struggle with self-control? I can tell you two areas of my life I I struggle with self-control. One area is my mouth. How many of you sometimes you speak before you think? You know what James 1.19 says? Be swift to hear and slow to speak. In other words, God gave you two ears, not two mouths, okay? I struggle at times in the area of patience. So guess what? I can sit here and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just shut up all day. I'm not going to say a word. You know how long that lasts? Thank you. But what happens when I invite the Holy Spirit to come in and say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to birth that fruit in me. I ask you to start working in me to do that. And it's that simple, I believe, that we ask Him, we give Him permission to come on the inside of us. And so ultimately right here, you see, He says, there's not one good. And as human beings, we have the mentality, there's got to be somebody that's good. But the Bible says there's not one. Only God is good. But what about King David? None. What about Daniel? He was a godly man. None. How about the Virgin Mary? None. Let's get a little bit more modern. What about Billy Graham? None. What about Sister Teresa? None. Okay? There's not one human being that's going to be able to attain it because they're good. Good isn't good enough. We're going to fall short. And actually, if you look down there into verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many? All of us. But verse 24 of that chapter is very important. Being justified, and the word justified means to be declared righteous freely by His grace through is the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Do you know what He's telling me there? The only way I'm ever going to be justified is through Jesus. It's by Jesus. It cannot be earned. You know what that also means? You don't have to try to get dressed in a phone booth. You don't try to have to be a superhero. You say, okay, Lord Jesus, start working on the inside of me. I welcome you. Now go back to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter number 10. See, many times, guys, in our own life, we're like the rich young ruler. We have degrees of good. But remember this in Philippians 1, six, he said, He who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it. It didn't say he who has begun a good work in you is going to turn it over you to for you to complete it. No, as long as I keep serving Jesus and say, Lord, just keep working through me. Keep changing my heart. See, what happens with the kingdom of God? Something happens on the inside. And it starts manifesting or showing up on the outside. That's what happens. But it starts right here in the heart. And before long, people begin to look and say, You act differently. You don't talk like you used to. 
Before long, you kind of look and say, well, how'd that happen? Well, you begin to understand. Only by Jesus. Only by Jesus. Now, back to verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, right there, guys, I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus tell this man he must sell everything he had to go to heaven? No, he didn't. If you'll look real close, he said, sell everything you have that you may have treasure in heaven. Okay? There's only one way I go to heaven. Jesus. Okay? But it's very clear here that the things that I do on this earth while I live here will determine what kind of treasure I do have in heaven. Okay? So he makes a big point. And then he comes back and he says this, Give the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. What does that mean? To take up the cross and follow him. I believe it's discipleship, guys. When I begin to come under the authority of Jesus, it says in Matthew 10.22, He who endures till the end. You know what that means to endure till the end? i got to be totally committed to Him. Matthew 16.24 says, To deny myself. So what ultimately happens is I put on Jesus and I take up my cross and I live for Him and I become a disciple of His. Now, for each one of us, there's a starting point. I must get born again. But then the key is, I keep getting into the Word, and I keep living by the Word, and I keep allowing the Holy Spirit to come on the inside of me. The ultimate goal is for every one of us to become disciples of Christ. You know what that is? Whatever your occupation is, Jesus wants to use you right there where you're at. If you're a school teacher... Jesus wants you to be an anointed school teacher for Him. If you're a coach, I don't know about you, I love to watch football or sporting events, and I love to hear a coach get up there and talk about Jesus. If you're a, a construction worker, you're a disciple of Christ. You're not there just to bang a hammer all day. You're to be light to a dark world. This is what it's all about. And so what happens as the body of Christ, we come together here today. We come to get fed the Word of God and eat, and we become spiritually strong. But it isn't just about us. It's about us to shine for other people. How do I do that? Man, i got to quit denying. i got to start denying myself. i got to start allowing Jesus to live through me. Keep reading. Verse 22. But he was sad at his word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Once again, the idol of his life was wealth. Right there. It bothered him. i got too much stuff. I can't do this. I can't let go of my wealth. Verse 23. When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now I want you to look at his words right there. He said how hard it is for those who have riches. Now I'm highlighting that because in a few verses he'll change his wording up just a little bit. But how hard is it for those who have riches to enter into heaven? Some of us here today, you know what we may say? But I don't have riches. That's not a problem in my life. Don't shut me off here right now. 
But if you live in the United States of America, you are wealthier than four-fifths of the people on this earth. And some of you will say, not me. See, our definition of poor in America is different from poor in the world. Our different definition of poor in America is, I don't have a cell phone. I don't have a flat screen TV. I can't go and get my nails done. But the definition of poor around the world is, I don't have a home, and I don't have any food. And you know right now, in the United States of America, if you live at the poverty level, and I don't know what the poverty level is right now, it used to be about $13,000 a year. If you live at the poverty level right now, You are richer than 80% of the world. So our definition of poor here in America is totally different. I believe to a certain degree this is a warning to us because Americans were consumed by things. Even me, I can get so consumed with things. My riches. I was around a guy who, he grew up in Juarez at the orphanage. He's a pastor now up in the mountains. Now, we go to Juarez and you look at that, and as Americans, it'll yank the slack out of you. You get down there and you don't get a hot shower and you whine a little. You go in and try to sleep at night because you don't have an air conditioner. And you can't go to the faucet and just turn the water on and drink it. So when I come back from from Juarez, it, it, it knocks the American out of me. But you know what he said to me one day? He said, you've never seen poverty. And this is a man who grew up in an orphanage in Juarez until you've gone to Cuba, a third world country. And I said, tell me why you say that. He said, when I go into Cuba, he said, I try to raise $10,000 to take with me. He said, I give 100 pastors $100 each. He said, that's more money than they'll make in an entire year. He said, I can give them a toothbrush and I can come back next year and they'll still have that toothbrush. They'll still remember I'm the guy who gave it to them. He said, when I go into Cuba, I speak for 12 days. He said, I take 12 sets of clothing and when I come home, I only have one set because I give everything away. He said, I can go back next year and I can look And the very shoes that I gave them, they're still wearing. What am I getting at? Well, many times in America, guys, we've been so blessed as a nation that our priorities are are, are not on Jesus so much as I want to go to heaven, but I want to live how I want to live. And I believe this is exactly what he was getting to him with. Verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at His word. They were amazed, they were perplexed, and they were bewildered. Who was? The disciples were. Why were the disciples amazed? You know why I think they were amazed? Because many of the disciples had riches. Tax collectors. Peter and John were fishermen. And they were... Fishermen with, with riches. How do I know that? You study the Scriptures and you'll find out they own boats, they own nets, and they own servants. You don't have servants, guys, unless you got some money. 
And so when Jesus says this, it got even the disciples' attention. And they were astonished at His words. But Jesus answered again. And He said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who, look what He says here, for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So this time, guys, He said those who not have riches, but those who trust in riches. Now for a Jew... It was a sign of God's favor for them to have wealth and riches, but they could not comprehend the fact that riches could be my downfall. And really, when I look at this, you can see over and over Scripture, Jesus isn't against us having material things. He's against material things having us. Jesus isn't against you having a nice car. He isn't against you having a nice purse. But he is against it when it dominates you. Let me ask you this. If Jesus told you to give that purse away, could you do it? No, it's mine. I worked overtime for it. If Jesus asked you to get... See, this is what happens. When I don't deny myself, even in this area. And so he said that. How hard it is. Verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but very, very difficult. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? They were greatly astonished. Now, when Jesus said how difficult it would be, He uses an illustration, and He said how how much difficult would it be for a camel to go through the eye of the needle? The eye of the needle, guys, was really a myth. Many times they talked about it being a little small gate. A little window that entered the city. But if you go through Scripture, you really never find this to be a truth. This was an illustration. Actually, they say if that you were to ask a Jew where the eye of the needle is, you know what they tell you? It doesn't exist. Let's just say this morning that it does. And so he said... It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. So for a camel to be able to go through the eye of the needle, you know what that would mean? The camel would have to get on his knees and crawl through it. If the camel could get on his knees and crawl through it, you know what that would mean? It was possible. Now look what Jesus says in verse 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible. By human achievement, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So you know what I said? It's impossible for you to save yourself. It's impossible with human achievement to save yourself. You can only go through that through Jesus. That's the only way. And so when you begin to look at this, Jesus begins to challenge us. He begins to challenge the rich young ruler. And ultimately, you know what it was about? Have you given him wholehearted allegiance to God? Have you given him your all? Or have you not? And many times, it's it's just one thing. And I know this, every one of us in here, we need a Lord, we need a Savior. But to have that, guys, it's more than just a, a verbal confession. And I can't bury my relationship with Jesus with a, an avalanche 
of material things. Do you know, back in, in 1 John, it says the world is made up of three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Is there things in your eyes and your flesh that you lust after? Is there things in life called the pride of life that keeps you from running to the things of God like He desires? Because I can't serve two masters. And self-help, guys, is no help at all for any of us. And so I believe, once again, he was telling the rich young ruler, I don't care how many good things you do, good isn't good enough. There's only one way. You give your heart to Jesus, and you pick up your cross and follow Him. Daily. Where you say, Lord, I surrender everything I got. I want you to have first place in everything I say and everything I do. Stand up with me this morning. Just living totally committed to Jesus. You know what that means? I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church. I don't have to obey God. I want to obey God. I don't have to. No, see, it's, it's not about the Old Testament laws. And when we deal with the Lord, this, this is how God is to me a lot of times. God is like a navigation system. And you start going along in life, and God says, go ten blocks and turn right. And in our human nature... We go ten blocks and we turn left. And when we go ten blocks and turn left instead of right, God doesn't shut down. God doesn't quit. God doesn't bail out. Actually, you know what God does? Recalculating. Recalculating. And guess what God does then? He comes the next day and says, go five blocks and go right. We go five blocks. And we go left. We quit listening to what the good teacher tells us. Now life as human beings, what ultimately happens is Jesus will let you keep going left when He's asked you to go right. He won't ever force you to do that. You have to make that decision. But in life, when I keep making the wrong turn, ultimately, I'm going to cause pain to my own life and I'm going to cause pain to people around me. How many of you have ever caused pain? I've caused a lot of pain, guys. Because I wouldn't listen to what Jesus said. Actually, if you were to look at the prayer of Jabez, I think that's Second Chronicles 7.14, somewhere in there. He had five requests, and Jabez's prayer was, that you bless me indeed, that you enlarge my territory or my circle of influence, that your hand be upon me, that you keep me from evil, and that I cause no pain. But the only way in life that I quit causing pain is i got to start doing what Jesus asked me to do. I deny myself. And Jesus will deal with your heart, and He'll deal with your heart, and He'll deal with your heart. The problem is this, that none of us know how much time's on the clock. 
What do you mean by that? I'm not guaranteed of nothing but right now. Yesterday's over. Tomorrow's not here. So all I got's today. Why do I say that? I bet if you were to, to go back about three weeks in time and you asked all those people in Moore, Oklahoma who lost their lives, do you think on that Monday there's going to be an F5 tornado and it's going to kill a bunch of you? There was never any thought of that. You know what their thought was? School's getting ready to be out. Summer's here. This is what we're going to do tomorrow. This is what we're going to do next week. This is what we're going to do during the summer. But listen, listen. I don't know when the clock's going to run out. And I can keep making wrong turns and keep making wrong turns, but ultimately I end up like the virgins in in, in Matthew 25. Five were ready and five weren't. But all ten of them knew the truth. And see, that's what happens with us when we start playing games with God. That's done Jesus' desire for each one of us. But you know what? There'll be people that'll die and go to hell. Even though Jesus says that I desire that none. But it comes to this. Am I willing to surrender? That one thing stopped the rich young ruler. That one thing. Bow your head with me right now. And you may be here today. Maybe you don't know Jesus.